Good evening. This is a special meeting of the San Francisco Commission on the Environment. The date is Tuesday, August 29th. The time is 5.02 p.m. Please note that the ringing and use of cell phones, pagers, and similar devices is prohibited. Please be advised that the chair may order the removal from the meeting room of anyone using a phone or similar device. For remote participants, please note that the ringing and use of cell phones can still happen virtually and is still prohibited. Please ensure your device is silenced. Public comment will be available for each item on the agenda. For comments on matters that are not on the agenda, there will be an opportunity for general public comment. Participants who wish to comment in person will be asked to come forward one by one and speak clearly into the mic. Each speaker will be allowed three minutes to speak. Members of the public participating remotely may comment by calling into the meeting. Opportunities to speak during the public comment period are available via phone by calling 415-655-0001, answering access code 2660-919-5124, and the meeting password SFGOV, that's S-F-G-O-V. Once connected, dial star three to be added to the queue. Best practices are, are to call from a quiet location, speak clearly and slowly, and silence any other devices. Alternatively, members of the public may submit public comment by email to environment at sfgov.org. Commented submitted via email will be forwarded to the commissioners and will be included as part of the official meeting file. I will now call the roll. President Ahn? Here. Vice President Wan? Here. Commissioner Bermejo? Here. Commissioner Hunter? Here. Commissioner Sullivan? Here. President Ahn, we have a quorum. Excellent. Next item, please, Kyle. The next item is item two, President's welcome. This item is for discussion. Good evening, everyone. The Commission on the Environment acknowledges that we occupy the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramaytoshaloni peoples, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. We recognize the Ramaytoshaloni understand the interconnectedness of all things and have maintained harmony with nature for millennia. We honor the Ramaytoshaloni peoples for their enduring commitment to Warep, Mother Earth. As the indigenous protectors of this land and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramaytoshaloni have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. We recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. As uninvited guests, we affirm their sovereign rights as First Peoples and wish to pay our respects to the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatusha community. As environmentalists, we recognize that we must embrace indigenous knowledge and how we care for San Francisco and all its people. Thank you for your attention during this important acknowledgement. Commissioners, staff, and members of the public, welcome to tonight's meeting. As we kick things off, we would be remiss without recognizing the recent wildfires in Hawaii and Maui in particular, and even the ongoing smoke that's drifting right now to the Bay Area that will last until Thursday. As California knows all too well, climate change fueled wildfires pose an acute threat to our communities across the state, and this tragic event only further underscores the urgent need for climate resilience and disaster preparedness. As we work on the Climate Action Plan in San Francisco and strengthen our resilience, our thoughts remain with the people of Lahaina and the entire Maui community as they begin a process of healing and recovery. I also want to note the passing of Nancy Werfel, a longtime advocate and strong voice for conversation in our city. Nancy possessed an encyclopedic knowledge of San Francisco's budget and bureaucracy and was never afraid to ask tough questions or hold those in power to account. As a staunch defender of San Francisco's open spaces, Nancy's activism and preparedness uh, made sure that the Environment Department helped make possible the reintroduction of Quail and Harding Park. 
This represents just one small element of her legacy, which ranged from landscape preservation in Golden Gate Park to oversight of water quality and increased focus on sustainable development in our city's neighborhoods. Nancy exemplified the very best in San Francisco, our proud tradition of civic advocacy, and our thoughts are with her friends and her loved ones. And we have a lot on our agenda tonight, so with that, let's uh, get started. So with that, should we take uh, public comment, I believe? We will begin with public comment here in the meeting room. Once in-person comment has concluded, we'll proceed to remote public comment. Are there any members of the public who are present in the room today who wish to speak? If so, please come forward one by one and speak clearly into the mic. And seeing none, we'll proceed to remote public comment. <coughs> members of the public participating remotely who wish to make a public comment on this item should now press star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it's your turn to speak. And seeing no callers in the queue, public comment on this item is closed. Great. Next item, please, Kyle. The next item is item three, update on environment department director recruitment process. The speaker is Eddie Yon, commission president. This item is for discussion. This is the moment we've all been waiting for. Uh, but first, I want to provide a quick recap of this very long process that we've gone through to search for our next director of San Francisco's environment department. In July 2022, the commission voted to constitute a search committee to manage the director recruitment process. The committee met between August 2022 and February 2023 to develop the timeline for the recruitment effort and craft the candidate brochure as well as identify and interview candidates for the director position. On March 7, 2023, the commission interviewed finalists for the director position in closed session and the commission voted unanimously to advance a slate of candidates, including the successful candidate, to the mayor for consideration per the terms of the city charter. On March 28, 2023, the commission interviewed additional finalists for the director position in closed session and voted to advance one additional candidate to the mayor per the terms of the charter. This was a shared effort. I want to thank Commissioner Elmi Bermejo, former Commissioner Johanna Wall for their service on the search committee. I also want to thank Sarah Owens of the mayor's office and Lowell Chu of the Environment Department for lending their energy and insight as well to this very rigorous search process. Finally, I want to thank Sean Sherburn of DHR and Sarah Crowley at the City Attorney's Office for ensuring that the Commission met its obligations at every step. That process has brought us to where we are today. The Commission has searched far and wide, but the candidate we were looking for all along turned out to be someone we know very well. And that final decision, of course, rested with the Mayor, and we cannot be more excited with her choice. So please join me all in welcoming our new Director of the San Francisco Environment Department, Tyrone Ju. And Director Chu, please. And I'll just keep this very brief. I just want to thank the commission uh, and Mayor Breed for having faith in me to execute on the duties and responsibilities of this department and mandate of this department. Uh, there's a lot of work ahead of us. And what gives me great hope is not just this commission, but all the staff you have here in this room and all the staff uh, that are not here that I've been continuing to lead this work each and every day. And I think with their support, their help, with your guidance and leadership, and with the mayor's leadership and the board's support, uh, we're gonna accomplish great things over the coming years. So I'm looking forward to the work. Thank you. Any other discussion or comments? 
only that I am very happy that the, of the outcome. I think um, Taiju has been such a steadfast supporter of the commission and the Department of the Environment. And it's just his history, the way he knows the community, the programs, and his unwavering commitment to how we execute all these things in San Francisco is admirable. And I'm very, very pleased. And congratulations, Director. Seeing no further comment, let's go to public comment then. Are there any members of the public who are present in the room today who wish to speak? And seeing none, we'll proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now press star three to be added to the speaker queue. And seeing no callers in the queue, public comment on this item is closed. Thank you, Kyle. Next item, please. The next item is item four, approval of minutes of the May 23rd, 2023 Commission on the Environment meeting and the February 28th, 2023 Search Committee meeting. The explanatory documents are the May 23rd, 2023 Commission on the Environment meeting draft minutes and the February 28th, 2023 Search Committee meeting draft minutes. This item is for discussion and action. I'll move approval of the minutes. We have a motion from Commissioner Sullivan. Second. A second from Commissioner Hunter. Um, we'll take public com comment on this then. Are there any members of the public who are present in the room today who wish to speak on this item? And seeing none, we'll proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now press star three to be added to the speaker queue. And seeing none, public comment on this item is closed. Roll call vote, please. President on? Yes. Vice President Juan? Aye. Commissioner Bermejo? Aye. Commissioner Hunter? Aye. Commissioner Sullivan? Aye. Great. With that, the motion passes. Uh, next item, please. The next item is item five, general public comment. Members of the public may address the commission on matters that are within the commission's jurisdiction and are not on today's agenda. Are there any members of the public who are present in the room today who wish to speak on this item? Seeing none, we'll proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now press star three to be added to the speaker queue. And seeing none, public comment is closed on this item. Okay, next item, please. All right, the next item is item six, presentation of the Commission on the Environment Environmental Service Award to Matter of Trust. This item is for discussion. Commissioner Sullivan, I believe this item is yours. Yes. <clears throat> so it's a pleasure uh, today to present the Environmental Service Award to Matter of Trust, one of San Francisco's most impactful and consistently innovative environmental nonprofit organizations. Since 1998, Matter of Trust has helped promote sustainable resources and practices to generations of San Franciscans. From recycling and composting to education and advocacy for clean air and water, the breadth and depth of Matter of Trust environmental programs sets it apart. Matter of Trust's mission and ethos are resolutely local, but its impact extends far beyond the Bay Area. Just consider their work using natural mats of human hair and animal fur to soak up petrochemicals from contaminated areas, which have helped clean up polluted sites from the San Francisco Bay to the Gulf of Mexico and beyond or their pioneering eco-home and eco-hub facilities, 
which showcase planet-friendly home models and urban edible gardens to countless San Franciscans. These are just a sample of the opportunities Matter of Trust has cultivated over the years, which range from school field trips to apprenticeship opportunities to its vast online resource library. And founder Lisa Gautier and her team of eco-enthusiasts have been there every step of the way as Matter of Trust continues to leverage natural and renewable resources to maximize social and environmental impact. As Matter of Trust marks its 25th anniversary, we recognize Lisa and her extraordinary team for exemplifying San Francisco's dedication to grassroots stewardship and community empowerment. Congratulations to all you have accomplished over the last 25 years, and we can't wait to see what comes next. Thank you very, very much. I'm really, really grateful to the commission. And uh, this means so much to matteroftrust.org um, for our mission of linking surplus with needs uh, and for uh, the impact that we can have. Um, I was trying to think about what I could say during these uh, three minutes, and the word Phoenix kept coming to mind. Uh, we're very lucky with the uh, Eco Home, which is um, having one week open every two months in the heart of Coal Valley, Haight-Ashbury, and we just sit there with wide open doors and talk to the public walking by. It has a great walking score, and uh, everybody has been 100% wonderful. We've never had an incident. This city is amazing. I love this city. My family came here in the 1800s for the gold rush. They didn't find gold, um, but my great-grandmother uh, went all through nursing school at Lone Mountain, my, my father's mother uh, actually wrote the jingle, Rice Cerrone, the San Francisco Treat. <laughs> wow. So um, I'm, I feel very San Franciscan. <laughs> and uh, I know this city is going through a lot. Um, but I love that the Phoenix is on our flag. And I really get to talk to the public so much uh, all the time through our work in the charity. We have really used this city as um, a test kitchen and a launching board, our program with the hair, fur, and fleece for oil spills has now moved on to being for uh, soil remediation at the Presidio, um, also looking at um, seagrass and kelp forest uh, restoration projects with the mats. And we now have 103 sites around the world, um, and they are called Matter of Trust Chile, Matter of Trust Athens. You know, it's, it's spectacular, and it's all thanks to San Francisco. So I'm very, very grateful. Thank you very much. Would anyone else like to say a few words? Yes, please go ahead. Good afternoon, Commissioners. Alexa Kelty with the Environment Department. I just wanted to say a few words. I've had the pleasure of working with Matter Trust since early 2000s with the Zero Waste Grants. We worked on Excess Access together. It was an on, uh, one of the first kind of online platforms that allowed excess um, material and goods from the for-profit uh, community to go to the nonprofit community. So it was a matching platform. So we funded that for many years. and. Um, 
I wanted to just really congratulate Matter of Trust for their innovation, their community building. Um, Lisa is one of a kind. Nobody thinks like Lisa. Nobody connects people like Lisa. It's it, she's. I'm really excited. She's getting this award. They really deserve it. They've been committed to San Francisco for many years, as you can see, and they're constantly innovating. And particularly around the hair mats is phenomenal. I encourage you all, if you haven't, go down to her facility where they're building the hair mats. She has a really state-of-the-art facility that actually weaves these mats together to clean up oil spills around the world, as she mentioned. So go down there, take a look. So thank you. Anyone else? If not, let's open this up for public comment then. Are there any members of the public or president in the room today who wish to speak on this item? Seeing none, we'll proceed to remote public comment. Any members of the public participating remotely who wish to make a public comment on this item should now press star three to be added to the speaker queue. And seeing no callers in the queue, public comment on this item is closed. Uh, with that, I believe we're gonna pause for a portrait with Lisa, so come back up. We'll probably take it up uh, against that wall. With that, next item, please. Okay, the next item is item seven, staff introductions. The speaker is Tyrone Ju, director. This item is for discussion. All right, the uh, fun part of the meeting where we get to introduce the new staff joining our department. Uh, so I'm gonna ask everyone to kind of come up and we'll, I'll call your name out and your title and then you can step up to the mic to say a few words. Uh, so Leo, Melissa, Emily, Keeley, I believe are in person. And then Gabriel and Strada, if you want to just make your way up to the front, I will call you out individually and uh, you can have a turn at the mic. Uh, so first up, um, as the commission uh, knew, we were doing a search for a deputy director, chief administrative officer for the department uh, after a long, uh, extensive process uh, and a lot of patience by Leo. Uh, we do have our new deputy director for the department, uh, Leo Chi. And so I'll let Leo explain his background and his experience, uh, but we're really excited to have him. Sure, thanks so much. I'm super excited to be part of this department. Um, I'm eager to be working on environment and climate full time. Um, my background includes 12 years 
with the city. Um, I spent five years as CFO for Department of Children, Youth, and Their Families, where I've met some of you. And I was in the mayor's budget office for five years as well, and I spent two years at MTA. Um, the last four years, I've been up in um, Sonoma County working for Supervisor Linda Hopkins up there, trying to do as much climate work as I can, but um, I'm super excited to be back here in San Francisco. I love this city, and um, I want to do my part, and I'm really eager to work with all of you, so thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Uh, and Next up, uh, we have Melissa Fondakowski. Uh, Melissa is our new Senior Grants and Communications Coordinator. Um, and so, Melissa. Thank you. Um, I'm happy to be here, Melissa Fondakowski, as Ty mentioned. Um, I come, I'm about a month old now so far at the uh, department, and I come from uh, almost three decades in a nonprofit and philanthropic community doing grant proposal writing, develop, fundraising development, as well as some grant making. And so I'm excited to be able to um, lend uh, my skills to full-time working for environmental causes. So thank you. Welcome. Uh, next up, we have a returning uh, member to our department, Emily Liang, who is our contracts and grants analyst. Hello, all. I am returning to the Department of the Environment. My first job with the city was at HSA. I was in a public assistant program, CalWorks, and then I came to Environment. I was a 1632 senior account clerk. And then I went to PUC, um, that was 1634, principal account clerk, and now I'm back to environment. I am uh, 1822. Uh, my main duties are uh, grant management, POs, payments, reimbursements, general entries. So I'm happy to be back. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and next, we have uh, Keely Patron, who's a USF McCarthy Fellow. Hi, I'm Keely Palin. I just started as a fellow with Commission Affairs. Um, I'm a senior at USF, I'm majoring in environmental science, and I'm really excited for this opportunity to be able to work with all of you and learn as much as I can. So thank you. Thank you. Welcome. Uh, the next two are promotions uh, internally within the department. First, we have uh, Gabriel Hernandez, uh, who was promoted to our Municipal Toxics Reduction Program Assistant role in our Toxics Reduction Team. Hello, everyone. My name is Gabriel Hernandez, and as Ty said, I'm coming into this new position for my former position as Residential Toxics Reduction Associate. So still working in the toxics reduction field at SF Environment. And now I'm supporting our Integrated Pest Management Program and our Buy Green Program. Thanks. Uh, our last in person is uh, someone everyone here is very familiar with, Shraddha Mehta. Uh, Shraddha is our new Community Partnerships and Engagement Manager, but I'll let Shraddha explain her, her history. She is the longest-serving uh, employee in our department, uh, beating everyone by a mile. Uh, but we're so happy that she's willing to tackle this new role. Um, so, Shraddha. Thanks, Ty. So I am a familiar face. I uh, joined the department in March of 2000 as the Commission Secretary. 
And since then, I've spent the majority of my career leading our environmental justice work. So I'm really excited for this opportunity to lead our community partnerships and engagement team and uh, really bring in racial equity, as you all know, that's been a core focus of mine and environmental justice into our outreach and engagement work and expanding our community partnerships. So thank you for the opportunity and I'm excited to work, continue to work with all of you. Congratulations. Thank you. I think we have uh, Liz Lomakina, who's our last person who is remote, uh, who is our toxics reduction intern. So Liz, if you're ready. Good evening, my name is uh, Elizabeth Lomakina, but I go by Liz. I am currently an intern with Toxics Reduction and Healthy Environment Team. I am a graduate student at Johns Hopkins uh, currently majoring in toxicology and risk assessment. And I'm hoping that um, the work that I do, which involves searching for recent toxicity information published on selected pesticides, uh, which is uh, on the reduced risk pesticide list, will be very helpful. Thank you. Uh, and I have just one final mention. Uh, she's not here in person. Uh, I want to extend my appreciation to Kelly Alves, who was our HR analyst. So Kelly came to us and worked for a brief stint for about six months, working with Anna, uh, I'm sorry, Adam uh, Romkowski, on helping us get through all of the vacancies we had within our department. And she was truly, truly an invaluable help to us. She published 12 job announcements and completed 26 appointments. So that's how many positions we were pushing through. And as we all know, the city hiring process does take a long time. So for us to get 26 through is, is quite an accomplishment. And so we're really grateful for Kelly's support and she's moved on uh, to support the health service system. So we wish the best to her. And with that, that concludes my announcement. Great. Any more discussion, commissioners? If not, public comment. Are there any members of the public or present in the room today who wish to speak on this item? Seeing none, we'll proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now press star three to be added to the speaker queue. And seeing none, public comment on this item is closed. All right, welcome new staff. Congratulations on your promotions as well. Next item, please. The next item is item eight, review and vote on whether to approve resolution file 2023-09-COE, resolution authorizing environment department Environmental Education Grants. The sponsor is Tyrone Ju, Director. The speaker is Esther Tang, Senior Environmental Education Strategist. The explanatory document is Resolution File 2023-09-COE. This item is for discussion and possible action. All right, commissioners. Uh, as you know, the commission set a policy to increase transparency around our grant making process. And so uh, we bring for approval grants over $100,000. Uh, to this commission. We also like to bring all of our outgoing grants in general to our commission uh, whenever possible. So tonight we're going to be presenting three pending outgoing environmental education grants to the commission for their review and approval. And I'm going to turn it over to Esther, uh, who's going to tell us more about what's in store with these grants. Thank you, Atai. Good, um, good afternoon, evening, uh, commissioners. And so um, it's my pleasure to introduce um, um, the three grants um, and asking for your approval. 
So um, these are for Boys and Girls Clubs of San Francisco, City of Dreams, and YMCA. And so they are each for 25K for the duration of two years uh, for this fiscal year and the coming fiscal year. And they're both uh, impound funded. So we have Boys and Girls Club of San Francisco. So they provide community-based youth development services and engagements for local youth since 1891. And they um, serve about 3,000 plus youth annually across San Francisco. So the scope of the grant is uh, to provide 32 field trips to 300 youth aged K to 12 including hands-on outdoor activities with a focus on environmental education. The program will foster an understanding of environmental justice issues with racial equity lens. Next, City of Dreams. So um, they had served 4,800 plus youth and families living in the Bayview's low-income housing since 2004. And the scope of the grant is to provide environmental education workshops to Bayview youth and to create the, um, and implement a youth-led zero waste community engagement project. So um, we have YMCA. So they are the leader in outdoor and environmental education programs. The scope of the grant is to expand the zero waste educational initiative program activities, including after school programs and summer camps, uh, youth training and development, and field trips uh, opportunities for YSF programs to access the zero waste programming space. Thank you. Thank you. Would any of tonight's grantees like to speak? Yes, please. I was just wondering if we know some examples of what these awesome programs are going to be doing. I don't know you said that they like have zero waste education. I, I love that. Do you I'm have... sorry uh, to cut you off. Are you a grantee yourself? Or oh, are you, I'm you sorry. Uh, we will have public comment on this. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. You can tell I'm new. I apologize. No, no worries. <laughs> Um, any of tonight's grantees are welcome to speak on this item first before we go to uh, discussion by commissioners and then public comment. Are there any grantees? Uh, yes, please come on up. Good evening, commissioners. My name is Manuel Rodriguez. I represent the YMCA of San Francisco, and we are uh, one of the pending grantee uh, applications right now. And so to answer the question, I think that was heard earlier, to preempt the public comment, I think when we talk about the zero waste activities, we are activating spaces over at the Buchanan YMCA where young people could come into the classroom and some of our grantee calls for the creation of educational curriculum. I'm not the program specialist, so I'd be speaking out of term to see what those day-to-day -day operations are. But curriculum that we're delivering actually on-site for after-school programs, STEAM Academy work, science, technology, engineering, arts, and math, as well as sort of uh, the engagement of field trips, sort of our naturalist and training that you could probably see uh, detailed in the contract that's in front of you. So we're just honored and actually very blessed to be considered for uh, application from SF Department of Environment. So thank you very much. Any other grantees tonight? Oh, yes, please. 
Hello, everyone. My name is Kareem Sykes, and uh, thank you all for having me here. I represent City of Dreams, and just to speak a little bit to the question, um, we have two programs that we are looking to implement, one of which is our Earn to Learn program, which is already in session. Um, we serve youth ages 7 through 14 in our first session. It's a six-week gardening program. We have a large community garden uh, where we've harvested over 200 pounds of produce this year, and we've distributed directly across the street at our food bank. Um, but yeah, our Earn to Learn program focuses on um, teaching our youth, teaching our youth everything from seed to harvest, uh, photosynthesis to germination, um, and we have five large composting bins that we are using to encourage all of our families, all of our community partners, to um, use. We use our compost to replenish our garden. Um, secondly, we have a contest going on. Um, where our families, we have, um, we have 15 participants per month, and we have our families, um, I'm sorry, we have our youth collect the compost from our families and weigh the compost, and whoever has uh, the highest yield every month, they win a $50 gift card. So those are just a few different ways that we are implementing um, zero waste and getting our community engaged in composting. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? If not, uh, discussion by commissioners? And seeing no discussion, could I have a motion then? Motion. Uh, we have a motion. motion from Commissioner Wan. Is there a second? Uh, second motion. Okay. Commissioner <laughs> Wan. A second from Commissioner Bermejo. And then now we'll move to public comment uh, before we even take a, a vote on this item. So members of the public may come up to the podium and speak if you desire. And sorry about that, not knowing the order of things, but thank you for sharing those that, that information. I appreciate it. Um, yeah. I feel like my question was answered. <laughs> All right. All's well that ends well. Um, any other members of the public that want to speak? If not, we're going to move to remote public comment, I believe. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now press star three to be added to the speaker queue. And seeing none, public comment on this item is closed. Roll call vote, please. President on? Aye. Vice President Mon? Aye. Commissioner Bermejo? Aye. Commissioner Hunter? Aye. Commissioner Sullivan? Aye. With that, the motion passes. Thank you. Congratulations to the grantees. And next item, please. The next item is item nine. <laughs> Update on Climate Action Plan implementation. The sponsor is Cindy Comerford, Climate Program Manager. The speaker is Richard Chen, Senior Environmental Specialist. The explanatory document for this item is the 2021 San Francisco Climate Action Plan. This item is for discussion. Hello, commissioners. Nice to see you all. Rich Chen, Senior Environmental Specialist with the Environment Department. Um, very excited to be here to give you an update on what we've been doing with the Climate Action Plan. It's hard to believe it's almost been two years since that got out, but we have been doing some exciting things, I think, and I'm really happy to share those with you. Um, next slide, please. So the agenda is here. I'm going to give you a quick update. Um, including 
something, an addendum that we just are about to publish for the climate action plan, talk about the greenhouse gas inventory, um, and then I'll spend some time going through the new CAP reporting dashboard that is gonna be on our public-facing website that I think you've heard about already. Um, and then there was uh, some pre and post campaign surveys that were conducted that I'd like to share some results with you as well and then we can have a discussion. Next slide. So um, originally when the CAP came out in, in 2021, there were six sectors and since then we work with the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission Water Resources Division to add a new chapter or sector for the Climate Action Plan. This one is about water supply. Obviously, it's a very strong connection to all of our climate issues in California and worldwide. Um, and I think one thing that we learned from all of this is that the SFPUC is working very hard to ensure that San Francisco has a reliable and um, clean water supply to carry us forward, given the challenges both from regulatory and climate change um, challenges. So the new sector of the CAP contains three key strategies and 15 supporting actions that focus on water supply demand management and water consumption reduction through innovative projects and supply augmentation programs. So it concludes about a year and a half of collaboration to add a chapter that, um, and uh, we wanna thank the SFPC Water Resource Division for their partnership on this effort it should be posted to the SFE Climate Action Plan website tomorrow. Next slide. And next I'm gonna talk about the greenhouse gas inventory. Uh, next slide, Kyle. Um, so a little bit of background. We normally do publish the results of a year's inventory about a year and a half after the conclusion of the year. So normally the 2020 inventory would have been published um, in spring of 2022, but due to staffing issues resulting from COVID, we lost our key staff member who had been doing this process for about five or six years, and the hiring process that was discussed, we finally got a new person on board and they were really kind of starting from scratch. So we're a little bit delayed in terms of getting it out. And the other caveat that I'll put out there is that it was 2020, we were in the middle of COVID lockdowns, the transit system, transportation, um, business closures, general economic turmoil was all going on in 2020. So we need to keep that in the back of our minds when we look at these numbers, but ultimately the results are good. Um, we are 48% below our 1990 levels in 2020, which is a 12% reduction below our 19, uh, 2019 levels, and probably a lot of that is attributable to the, to the COVID impacts. Um, we're just now starting to initiate doing the 2022 inventory to kind of get back on a regular schedule. And I think our plan is to now pivot to doing it once every other year because it is such an intensive process. It's very labor intensive. There's a lot of data that needs to be collected and we think our staff could be working on other initiatives to advance the climate action plan. But we will continue to do it once every other year um, moving forward. So next slide, Kyle. Um, wanted to get down into a little bit of more detail on the emissions sources. 
So buildings and transportation remain the largest contributors and combined they comprise about 88% of our total emissions. Transportation emissions decreased 19% compared to 2019 levels, which is again due to all of the stay-at-home orders and people just changing their behavior during COVID. Um, one technical note that I'll add is that during while we were doing the 2020 inventory, we realized that the model that we had used for past inventories was, I mean, we knew it was very high level and very coarse for transportation. And we work closely with the transportation authority as our data purveyors in this space. But our initial runs using our older method showed that transportation emissions actually went up in 2020. And we realized that just didn't make any sense at all. So um, they turned us on to a new tool that uses a lot more real-time data and sensors on roads. And then they can extrapolate throughout the city. Um, we're also looking at other tools like Google and, and uh, to find things that are a little bit more easy to manage and more um, accurate and up to date. Um, so, and then building emissions decreased 4% 4, 4 below 19, uh, 2019 levels. Um, so those are the highlights and we'll know more um, in spring of 2024 about how we did in 2022. Next slide. So I'm um, excited to share a little bit about the dashboard. I don't know if you have seen it, but uh, next slide, Kyle. Um, this is a new addition to the sfclimateplan.org website, which was created through a kind of a holistic marketing and engagement campaign that we ran with consultants earlier this year, um, basically spring of 2023. And one of the key items was to, in addition to doing all of the direct uh, communication in the community about the climate action plan, we wanted to have, have somewhere to send people to learn more about it. So that was like the sfclimateplan.org website. And so uh, now we've added this dashboard. And so what you see here is the homepage of the, of the website. And there's a, a button at top that says uh, dashboard. So. Um, I think a few things on this, we had committed in the climate action plan to have metrics, and now we're calling them indicators, just to have another way to show progress and to get people to understand what we're trying to do with the climate action plan. So um, I'll sh talk more about the indicators, but um, you know, this effort is really about taking all of the complex information that's in the climate action plan and trying to make it a little bit more approachable, understandable, understandable and tangible for everyday people. Um, now I'll show you some of the key features and content included in it. Uh, next slide, Kyle. Um, so we start off with recent achievements, given how easy it is to sort of feel pessimistic about the state of the climate and our ability to make meaningful, fast change. Uh, we think it's important to show real progress and highlight successes when they occur. And the, and the truth is the city is doing a lot to advance the climate action plan right now. Um, this approach is consistent with the marketing campaign of kind of staying on positive uh, messages and to show all of the progress that we are making. Um, and the, on this slide homepage now are some examples from 2022 and we'll add more achievements with each year's dashboard update, which will also occur in the spring. Next slide. Um, 
So this implementation snapshot is what you'll see next, and it's a high-level summary of CAP implementation progress. Uh, it's a summary of information our team collects from all of the CAP departments about their actions at the beginning of the year. And the back end for this is a gigantic spreadsheet with all of the actions and a lot of data about all the departments and who's filling it out and barriers they're facing and successes and engagement opportunities. Um, and again, as I mentioned, now that this is all set up, we have the ability to make updates to the dashboard. That was a key feature of our project. And when we do these city department-wide climate action plan updates, we would include um, updated information in this implementation snapshot. Um, next slide, Kyle. Next is kind of getting into the key indicators part. Um, so again, it's another way to communicate, communicate progress and educate the public about the intent behind the CAP strategies and to make them more um, real for people. So we work closely with all the departments to identify indicators that are leverage, uh, that leveraged existing data collection processes just to reduce the burden. And each indicator includes the intent of the strategy, the original CAP language, uh, description of the indicator, a short blurb that provides a little more context, and then the data itself typically shown as a chart. Um, here's the example from Energy Supply ES1 and shows the percentage of electricity that is renewable and how we're progressing towards the city goal, city's goal of 100% renewable electricity by 2025. And there's just one more example next here, if you can flip to the next slide, for transportation and land use strategy one, which is to build a fast and reliable transit system, which will be everyone's preferred way to get around. The indicator we're using is Muni average weekday ridership which is a key indicator of the health and use of the system and which we get from SFMTA as well. So all in all, we have 19 indicators for the 31 strategies in the Climate Action Plan and we'll be adding more as we move forward um, as data and time and resources allow. Uh, next slide, Kyle. So you can go ahead to the next one. So um, now I'm gonna go into the a little bit on this public survey that was conducted pre and post campaign. Uh, this slide shows the overview of the engagement awareness campaign that we ran. As a reminder, SFE worked with consultants and staff to create and deliver a comprehensive marketing campaign to increase awareness of the Climate Action Plan and to primarily drive people to the new website. Um, key components were digital print, TV, radio, media, the new website itself, we held uh, two climate resource fairs in language in, in Spanish and Chinese. And then we've been doing sector specific outreach as well, such as uh, induction cooking demonstrations at farmers markets. Um, notably, the project included a pre and post campaign survey, which I'll discuss next. Go ahead. So the survey overview, as just mentioned, uh, was performed to gauge the impact of the campaign. Um, summary details are shown on this slide. They were pretty clear with us that the pre and post are, again, the indicators, but hard to point exactly to changes in awareness directly related to the things that we were doing with our campaign. But I think there's a pretty good sense that there was definitely an impact. Uh, next slide, please. 
So just some examples of some of the data that was collected from the survey. Um, on uh, one question asked if people had seen or heard recent information encouraging residents to take action to fight climate change. Pre-campaign, it was just 12%, and post-campaign, it rose to 31%. Um, again, we can't point to the campaign as the cause of that change, but uh, especially there's been a lot of climate news and things that have been going on that have just because of the stuff that's going on. But um, I think the results do indicate an increase in messages that specifically encourage behavior change, which was the, really the heart of what we were trying to do with our campaign. Next slide. Uh, climate change concern level. Among respondents, 80% are concerned about climate change, and the number of very concerned increased post-campaign. And about 10% increased from those simply concerned to very concerned. Next slide. Um, this one is about the likelihood to take specific actions. And one question we asked was about the likelihood that someone would take an action from a list that we developed, look, thinking about um, the population, you know, generally renters. So we weren't talking so much about switching out appliances. We kind of tailored the questions to be things that people could do like relatively easily. And uh, note that the top three include taking one less car trip per week, cutting out meat uh, one or more days a week, and paying $3 more uh, a month for 100% renewable electricity. So those are all um, great indicators of people's, where people might be interested in taking action. And next slide, Kyle. Um, I think this is the last one, learning anything new. Um, there was also a question asking respondents if they learned anything new from the messages that they saw during the campaign period. And 40% said yes, which we thought was very high and very encouraging. Uh, the most came from the age group of 25 to 44, where 65% said yes, followed by nearly half of those from ages 45 to 59, and then 29% of those over 60. So um, the fact that 40% of people thought they learned something new was also very encouraging for us. Um, that concludes my presentation, and I'm happy to discuss and take your questions. Thanks. Questions? Or, yes, questions. Um, so Richard, thank you so much for that presentation. Um, really exciting to see the dashboard especially. Uh, we've been talking for a while about something like that. So it's really exciting to see it actually beginning to roll out. Um, and, I, um, and I assume it's a work in progress at this point. Um, yeah, I, I think the, you know, there was a web developer that was brought on by the, most likely to was the, the prime consultant. They did the reuse campaign. So they're very familiar with what we're trying to do at the uh, department right now in terms of messaging. Um, there is an architecture to the site. It's they handed the keys to us. We can make updates, and we plan on refining the metrics, adding more as it makes sense, and then we do the refresh every year as well. Because I know what would be most useful to me as a commissioner, and I think also to the public, would be to see for each big section of the cap, what is our goal, by what date, um, and have that be kind of on the, on the slide, easily visible, and then where are we in the particular year? So you can, you can look at the goal, and the date, and you can look at the current number or metric, 
and see we're doing really well or, or we're not doing so well. So the, the, the dashboard for energy supply was, was exactly that. It, mm -hmm. had, it had 100% by 2025, and we can see we're yeah. at 84% in 2020. Right. You know, the, the one for muni ridership, I looked at it, and I, 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 I guess the 344,000 is the goal. Um, but I, I couldn't, it wasn't as easy for me to kind of visualize it there. Um, and there, you know, it, it's, it's great to celebrate where we're succeeding, but it's almost more important for us to, to see where we're, where we're not succeeding, because that's where we can maybe try to do something to, to, to make change. So that's just, at least as one commissioner, that would be really helpful from my perspective. Absolutely. Thank you for that comment. And um, it was quite challenging once we got down to brass tacks with departments to understand the available data, our intent, what they're comfortable with you know, collecting, reporting on. We wanted to piggyback on those efforts as much as possible. And to find an indicator for a strategy, um, it's a very nuanced exploration of what makes sense given you're trying to communicate very quickly and clearly with people as well. So you can get into the weeds very fast. And um, so we're just kind of balancing all of those things. Great. Thank you. Uh, I'll just generally say thank you to staff. I know Cindy has updated us on this dashboard every commission meeting for the last year, so very excited to see it. Um, I think my general concerns were addressed in that snapshot. Being able to just click on the completed button and see the 11 completed actions that the department has achieved, I think is a good boost for morale. Overall, excellent job though. Very excited to see the progress that's been made. Thank you. Yes, I just wanted to add not only excellent job, but also creative job. I was uh, invited to speak at one of the community forums on 18th uh, at the Women's Building, where the community gathered and uh, there was free lunch for folks, and it was all vegetables. It was very showing folks how can we they be really creative. Additionally, the use of the Loteria game by using environmental terminology was really creative and everybody engaged in the Loteria game, um, and so they could win an induction cooktop or other yeah. prizes, which I think was very helpful in engaging folks that this could be fun, healthy, and really good for the environment. So thank you for being so creative with that as well. And I talked to Kara about that, and I got my own set of Loteria. <laughs> Appreciate that. Thank you. I think along the same line, I really appreciate also the engagement with the Chinese community um, in language and also we provide very cultural competent material. So I really appreciate that as well. Thank you. Any other comments, questions? If not, um, let's go to public comment then. Are there any members of the public who are present in the room today who wish to speak on this item? Seeing none, we'll proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now press star three to be added to the speaker queue. And see no callers in the queue, public comment on this item is closed. Thank you, Rich. Thank you, Thank you very much. Next item, please. All right, the next item is item 10, update on SF Safe Medicine Disposal Program. The sponsor is Paulie Ojea, Toxics Reduction Program Manager. The speaker is Christopher Lester, Special Waste Disposal Analyst, this item is for discussion. And just a quick reminder to 
um, any environment department staff um, who did new staff introductions that you're not required to stick around for the entirety of the meeting. Thank you. Hello, commissioners. My name is Paoli Ojea. I'm the program manager for the Toxics Reduction and Healthy Communities team. And we did just get a name change, so that's why it sounds a little different than you're used to. We can talk about that another day. Uh, tonight, we will be providing an update on the Safe Medicine Disposal Program that SFE is responsible for implementing. The program provides residents collection services to dispose of their unwanted medicine in a safe and environmentally sound manner. Providing residents this service is really important, and we're going to briefly talk about why. Kyle, can, can I get some slides there? Thank you. Um, so one is environmental protection. We don't want these medicines winding up in the trash or uh, in the toilet while they go down the drain and pollute the water system. We want to prevent uh, drug misuse and addiction, and this is something that can help get the drugs out of homes. Um, and we also want to prevent accidental poisonings that can happen when leftover unwanted medicine is left around in the house. Next slide, please. Because of these reasons, in 2015, the Board of Supervisors adopted the Safe Drug Disposal Stewardship Ordinance. And the ordinance is unique in that it utilizes an extended producer responsibility approach where medicine manufacturers, and in an ordinance they're referred to as producers, that sell products in San Francisco are required to operate and fund the collection program. And since 2017, producers have spent nearly $8 million providing services to residents at no cost to the city or recology ratepayers. SFE is responsible for overseeing implementation to ensure that the program is meeting our goals. Maggie Johnson and Christopher Lester on our Toxics team are responsible for this work, and Christopher is here today to tell you a little bit more about how it's going. Thanks, Pally. Good evening, commissioners. Sorry, that was a little loud. <laughs> um, my name is Chris Lester, a Special Waste Disposal Analyst with the Environment Department. Thank you, Pally, for that introduction and setting the stage. Uh, next slide, please, Kyle. So we'll jump into the uh, ordinance requirements. They can broadly be bucketed into three main categories. The first of which is the collection and disposal system requirements, which establish three things. One of which is the type of collection services that shall be provided, a convenience standard of five drop-off kiosks for each of the 11 supervisorial districts, and also guidelines for producers or their program operators for how the collected medicines should be handled and safely disposed of. Next slide, please, Kyle. Secondly, we have promotion system requirements to ensure that the medicine collection options are broadly promoted to residents, medicine prescribers, and others in the healthcare and veterinary communities. Next, please. And reporting requirements for producers and their program operators that are operating, pro operating programs on their behalf and for SFE to uh, report to the board on a biannual basis on the ordinance's implementation status and with any recommended changes. Next, please. So producers are required to submit a written product stewardship plan that details how they will operate their programs in compliance with the ordinance requirements and also to meet city goals. SFE's role is to review and approve the written product stewardship plan, and then once approved, oversee subsequent implementation by program operators to ensure they're operating it as described in the written plan. Next, please. To date, SFE has approved two stewardship program operators, 
they include MED projects, which SFE first approved in late 2016. And the second is Inmar Intelligence, which SFE first approved to operate in San Francisco in late 2020. Next, please. Actually, we can jump to the next slide. Thanks, Kyle. So the collection and uh, disposal system currently includes a convenient system of 63 medicine drop-off kiosk sites. And these are located in a mix of retail pharmacies, hospitals and clinics with pharmacies on site, all 10 San Francisco police station, and one sheriff's facility. And one limitation here is that all these locations were placed in compliance with federal DEA rules that limit the collection of unwanted medicines to primarily pharmacies and law enforcement locations. So that does limit our ability to place uh, drop-off kiosks in certain locations. Next, please. Here's a map of the 63 kiosk locations distributed around San Francisco. You can see that overall coverage is pretty good, although a few uh, neighborhoods do have more sparse collection options in terms of kiosks. And again, this is connected to the federal DEA limitation that I just discussed, whereby if there just aren't many pharmacies in a neighborhood, we lawfully cannot place a drop-off kiosk in certain neighborhoods without a pharmacy participating. Next, please. So in districts where a program operator is not providing five drop-off kiosks, they are supplementing their collection service per requirement in the ordinance with what we refer to as mailback envelope distribution locations. And so these are physical locations where a resident can visit and pick up a mailback envelope, like the one seen on the screen. The idea here is that they visit the location, pick up the envelope, bring it home, fill it with their unwanted medicines, and then return it to the postal service for safe disposal. So this is another supplemental service. It does limit, you know, you can't just drop everything that you have into the bag like you could in a kiosk, but it is a great service as well to complement the drop-off kiosks. Next slide, please. And again, here's a map of the 204 mailback envelope distribution locations shown as orange dots. These are often placed at businesses that have a nexus to medicine uh, prescription, prescription, prescribing rather, or uh, veterinary. So this would include urgent cares, doctor's offices, dental offices, and vet clinics. Next, please. In a significant development, Walgreens joined MedProjects program in late January 2023 and are now collecting medicines at 24 of their 48 locations in San Francisco. And this is notable in part because Walgreens, previous to this, was operating their own private medicine collection uh, program outside of Med Project and Inmar. So it's sort of a private separate effort, but at very limited number of locations. So they've significantly increased their participation in San Francisco. And this is significant both because of just the overall increase in the number of collection locations. We added 24 locations to a network, bringing it up to 63, so that was great. Also because Walgreens is just the most prominent pharmacy operator in San Francisco. They by, have by far the most pharmacies. And so I think that helps raise residents' awareness by going into a, a Walgreens, seeing the kiosk there, understanding that it's a service that's available. And then also thirdly, because in many neighborhoods, Walgreens was the only pharmacy available. And so without Walgreens participating in certain neighborhoods, we just simply could not place a drop-off kiosk there. So when they came on board, it let us place drop-off kiosks in neighborhoods such as the Bayview, the Outer Mission, the Outer Sunset, that you may have noticed didn't have a whole ton of uh, drop-off kiosks prior. Next slide, please. 
So a key requirement in the ordinance is for uh, producers or their program operators to uh, collaborate together and create a coordinated single system of promotion. And the idea here is that uh, they're trying to ensure that their separate outreach efforts have consistent and coordinated messaging and avoid kind of um, contrary messages to the public. MedProject and Inmar aren't collaborating to the extent that we, we'd like to see, but they are collaborating on a few key elements, which I'll get into now. Next, please. So this includes a coordinated design for the color and signage of their collection kiosks. MedProject, to their credit, allowed Inmar to use their pre-existing kiosk signage through a royalty-free licensing agreement. And Inmar, to their credit as well, agreed to use MedProject's materials rather than um, using their own branded kiosk design. You can see there on the screen, Inmar's kiosk design is on the left, MedProject's is on the right. Pretty similar, and actually the paint colors in real life look a lot more similar than what's shown on the screen. Next, please, Kyle. They also created a single resident-facing website, medprojectsf.org, and are sharing operation costs of that website equally. Through the website, residents can access a map and a list of all of, of, all of MedProject and Inmar's collection locations, and there's also links for them to access each program operator's website where they can also order mailback services uh, delivered directly to their door at no cost. Next, please. Outside of these elements, MedProject and Inmar are conducting their outreach individually using a variety of outreach vehicles. So an example of which is uh, MedProject's outreach is on the screen right now, a Facebook post of theirs. They're doing many other types of outreach, including video PSAs. They've got ads on Pandora and traditional radio. This is really just an example of kind of the look and feel and one outreach activity that they're doing. Next, please. And here's a postcard design that Inmar is mailing to households in every single supervisorial district this year. Not to every household, but they're working through sort of subsets. Um, generally, when we zoom out about their outreach efforts, there is some duplication that's happening, sort of inevitable. But typically, they've taken their own approach, which has resulted in their efforts complementing each other rather than duplicating their efforts. Next, please. So we'll jump into some performance metrics uh, that can offer some insights on the program. Next, please. So this is a chart of the program operation costs uh, since 2017. Uh, again, Inmar only started operating in 2021, so we only have two years worth of their operation uh, costs. But in total, they've spent over $7.7 .7 million providing these services to San Francisco residents since 2017. And as Pally mentioned, as an EPR program, these are fully covered by producers, medicine producers, and their program operators, um, not recology garbage rates, not city funding sources. Next, please. Here's a chart of each um, program operator's medicine collection services by supervisorial district. You can see clearly Med Project with 62 of the 63 kiosk locations, they have really cornered the kiosk landscape. I really attribute this to the fact that MedProject's been operating since 2017. Inmar came on the scene three years later. And so MedProject really had the first go at all the prime um, pharmacy locations that were able and willing to collect medicines. Inmar has been trying to add collection kiosks, but in the meantime, they're supplementing their one collection kiosk location with over 150 mailback envelope distribution locations while they try to add more collection kiosks. 
Next, please. And then finally, here are the collection results from the, six years of the first six years of the program. Two key takeaways here. In total, the two operators have collected over 140,000 pounds of medicines since the start of the program, quite a lot. And um, Med Project in orange is collecting the vast majority of medicines. Uh, again, I think this relates to their uh, really robust collection kiosk network. And the takeaway here is that residents far prefer an in-person drop-off option rather than these mail-back options. Next, please. So in terms of what's next, next slide, please. SFE has drafted updates to the ordinance's implementing regulations. The proposed updates would strengthen the collection system, uh, specifically requiring program operators to operate one-day collection events in districts where they're not meeting uh, the five uh, district, the five kiosk convenience standard. I think our sense is that the mailback only approach is not being as effective, and so we're looking for other options. Uh, secondly, it would formalize the coordinated elements of the single system of promotion that we talked about, essentially codifying these requirements into regulations, so it's not something that's being done on sort of a voluntary basis. And then third, a, a establish a process for integrating new program operators if a third or a fourth operator uh, wanted to operate in San Francisco. Next slide, please. So as we talked about in relation to medicine collection, our data shows that mailback envelope distribution locations aren't being well utilized. People seem to really strongly prefer this in-person option. Um, the federal DEA does allow one-day collection events. There's an additional way that people can uh, lawfully collect medicines for safe disposal. Um, so once the updated regs are adopted, uh, certain program operators with uh, less than two kiosks in a given district will be required to operate one-day collection events in that district. Um, you may recall that under the current kiosk deployment, that requirement is primarily going to fall on Inmar. Med Project may be required to conduct events as well. Regardless of how that shakes out, we, the department, are, want to facilitate um, these one-day collection events, help these organizations find uh, community partners where these one-day collection events might be a good fit. And next slide, please. And then lastly, uh, as I mentioned, the ordinance re requires SFE to report to the Board of Supervisors on a biennial basis on implementation status and also with any recommended changes to the ordinance itself. I don't think we have any recommended changes as far as the ordinance goes. We did do an update, a small update this uh, past April, um, but we will be submitting our fourth biennial report to the board later this year. And I'm happy to share a copy with you as well. And I think that concludes my presentation. All right, any discussion? Can I have a question? Just wondering if you can, um, I saw some of the campaign material or outreach material has, yes. um, Two languages. I'm just uh -huh. wondering, have you done like uh, targeted outreach to communities who have language or cultural barrier? Absolutely. Yeah. Targeted outreach is happening in, there's five required languages that outreach needs to be conducted under the ordinance, English, Spanish, Chinese, Russian, and Tagalog. So efforts are going on in all those different languages. So the, the box, a collection box, do you have signage actually in different languages? Because so far what I see mm -hmm. from the slide deck is only in English. So that's why. 
So part of the signage on the side, it does have multiple languages. Um, I think some of the primary uh, signage itself, it, they're relying more on kind of visuals as opposed to translations. I think the challenge that they've encountered, they, the program operators, is having this massive block, block of text. Um, but we are, under the regulations, we have the ability to work with them to um, essentially improve their key, uh, collection kiosk signage, and I think there's certainly an interest in doing that. I just encourage it would be great to work with a lot of community-based organizations, especially yes. they serving a lot of seniors that who might have language barrier to really learn about this program. Sure, yeah, absolutely. And I'll add that like Med Project, for instance, they've been really good at working with, based on the collection location itself, adding additional signage. So Chinese Hospital Pharmacy, for instance, they provided them additional signage per their request to really serve their, their um, customer base. Yeah. Any other comments, questions? If not. Thank you. Yeah. I actually have one question for the commissioners if it's appropriate to ask it right now, Kyle. Please. And so I mentioned one-day collection events, how we're looking for organizations to partner with. I know that all of you are really involved with your communities. So we're, I'm, I'm wondering if there's suggestions on organizations we might reach out to, SFE might reach out to, as far as partnering on those events. So typically it's had some sort of medicine focus or community focus. Um, kind of examples might include a seniors event or something that's geared towards children and families. Um, but anyways, no need to respond right now, but if you have any thoughts, if you want to share them with Kyle to really relay to our team, that would be greatly appreciated. Just, yes. just really quick example, for example, yes. there's some neighborhood-based health fair. Uh -huh. I think those will be really good events to also partner with the community to do this one-day collection event. Absolutely. But feel free to reach out to me as well. Great, perfect. Other suggestions? I have one, one other idea. Yes. So Walgreens um, has 24 out of 48 participating. Is there any chance you could get all 48? It would be great to know that any Walgreens, you can just walk into it and there'll be a, a bin there. Yeah, that was certainly our hope and our goal. Uh, I think one of the limitations that we're encountering with extended producer responsibility is that we, the department, were of course not running the program. Mm -hmm. And they, at heart, at the core, Med Project or Inmar, are a compliance-driven organization. So in any district that they already had five collection kiosks, it would represent additional cost for them to add a kiosk to those locations. And so they, honestly speaking, have no incentive to add those in certain locations. Um, they really focused on districts where they weren't meeting the five. Got and it. then others, so that's why we didn't get, unfortunately, a universal coverage. Got it, thank you. Yeah. With that, maybe we'll go to public comment at this point. Great. Are there any members of the public or present in the room today who wish to speak on this item? Seeing none, we'll proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now press star three to be added to the speaker queue. And seeing none, public comment on this item is closed. So thank you again for your presentation. Absolutely. I myself will continue thinking through uh, different kinds of events and CBOs that you might interact Great. with. Thank you so much. Thanks.
Okay, the next item is item 11, director's report. The speaker said Tyrone Jew, director, and Alexa Kilty, residential zero waste senior coordinator. The explanatory document is the director's report. This item is for discussion. This item also includes several sub items. Update on the Environment Department fiscal year 2023-24 budget. Uh, item 11B, update on the Environment Department office floor consolidation. And 11C, update on the refuse rate setting process. Uh, commissioners, it's been a while since we've had a commission meeting, so I know everyone's already aware of this, uh, but I wanted to give you a formal update on the department's budget, uh, which was signed and approved by the mayor and the board. Uh, as you know, the mayor's budget was released this spring and included $1.5 million in ongoing funding to the department, which represents the largest ongoing allocation of general fund dollars uh, resources ever uh, for the department. This funding will be included as part of our budget going forward and is going to be key to helping us retain existing staff and keep us on our path uh, towards building up to meet our climate action plan goals. Uh, the outcome was never guaranteed as all of us know here. Uh, there were a lot of conversations uh, and backroom conversations with the budget team, uh, with the board, with the mayor's office, um, but we're really grateful for the support of this commission and really leading us on this charge uh, to our many stakeholders and the department staff that were working on this. Uh, a lot of credit goes to them. And to that end, I want to recognize a few individuals from the department that were key uh, to this budget process. I want to recognize our, our budget manager, Joe Salem, Charles Sheehan, Cindy Comerford, as well as the policy team uh, comprised of Deidre Tannenberg and Joseph Pizecki. And so it was kind of that team uh, really that helped spearhead all of the meetings with the board, with the mayor, with the bud budget office uh, that helped us get over the finish line. And so uh, thank you also finally to Mayor Breed for her leadership. As I've said to many people, you know, the, one of the most difficult things is to kind of spend money. One of the more difficult things is to spend money when you don't have a lot of money to spend, uh, which was the case this year in a very tough and difficult budget year for the city. Uh, the mayor allocated resources in her budget uh, towards our work in the department. So a lot of credit goes to Mayor Breed. We also, on the state budget side, did uh, receive, uh, not us directly, but there was an allocation of $500,000 that will support our ongoing work for the San Francisco Bottle Bank uh, pilot project. As we, can, as we transition that project to a more sustainable model, uh, which we'll update the commission on in the future. Uh, I wanted to give an update on the office floor consolidation. I mentioned we're right now occupying half of the second floor and the full third floor uh, at 1155 Market Street. We're still working on that transition. The big uh, thing we're waiting for is the approval and pending approval from the Board of Supervisors on the renewed lease that the City Real Estate Department is negotiating um, and presenting to the Board coming in December or September. And so once that lease gets approved, uh, then we'll start moving forward and executing our consolidation, assuming that the board approves the lease. Uh, and then next, we want to give a brief update on our refuse rate setting process. Uh, and Alexa is going to handle this one in place of Jack, who's on vacation right now. So Alexa. Hi, everyone. Alexa Keltigan from uh, the Environment Department. I'm going to make a brief refuse rate update. Um, we've been meeting with the controller's office and Recology since the beginning of the year, and we're finally coming to a close, which is exciting. So the refuse rate board, um, August 31st, which is Thursday, I believe, is um, voting on their re final decision. It's a resolution. 
Um, it's recommending a 1.33% uh, rate, refuse rate increase in rate year 24, and a 2.55% uh, rate increase and rate year 25. Some of the highlights, I'm not gonna go over all of it now because we will come back and give you a more in-depth presentation, um, but it includes uh, SF Environment's total uh, budget, which is probably our most important thing. We are in, in the resolution. Um, our trash processing pilot, which I'm most excited about. I think it's one of the most innovative things we're doing in terms of zero waste, so that's, that's in there. Um, we'll be piloting 1,200 tons of material, processing our trash, so I'll be working closely on that. Um, contamination enhancement monitoring will be included. Um, that includes looking at testing six cameras um, uh, on board um, some of the trucks, the re uh, Recology trucks, um, and annual res residential outreach. So one year will be multifamily, the following year will be single family. So every year we'll have, we'll hit like around half the city. It will not include the zero waste incentive. I know we talked about that at length with you all. Um, that is not completely off the table, but the rate administrator and the board are saying that needs more examination and it will be considered in the next process. So um, we are expecting um, them, uh, the board to vote in for the resolution on the 31st. We don't expect any um, other issues to come up, but we who knows, right? Um, but we will come back in our next commission meeting and report in more detail. Thank you. And I just wanted to acknowledge that we are still looking into the uh, surveillance issue around the camera technology. So uh, we've had ongoing conversations with the city attorney's office and with the city's committee on information technology. And so those we'll have more information hopefully by next month. Um, just a couple other quick updates. The board is returning from summer recess on September 5th. Uh, we are going to be giving a presentation on September 15th to LAFCO on the e-bike delivery pilot program, which is now operational. And so we're collecting and tracking data from all of the e-bike delivery uh, drivers or, or bikers that are making deliveries right now. Uh, and the last update I want to give was around the upcoming Asia Pacific Economic Collaborative event happening between uh, November 14th through 16th. Uh, we are expecting President Biden here and possibly uh, President Xi from China. And so uh, there have been numerous articles that have been posted in, in the press about how big a deal this is. Uh, the mayor at every turn is, is talking about, you know, we haven't had a gathering of this complexity and security magnitude uh, since the 1945 UN uh, charter was signed here in San Francisco. So that's the level of delegations and heads of states that will be here in the city. And so. There will be parts of the city I encourage everyone not to go venture towards, otherwise you will be stuck. Um, but we are engaged as a department in trying to highlight our work here in the department because one of the key themes around the department, I'm sorry, one of the themes for the collaborative is sustainability and resilience and inclusion. And so um, I'm sending out a letter this week to all of the climate technology companies. We wanna showcase kind of all this work that's happening right here in San Francisco while the delegations are here to show the innovation and the work that's happening. Uh, similarly, across our entire city family from MTA to our small business commission, entertainment commission, they're trying to activate the entire city around this event. And so this is a all hands on deck uh, thing for the city, but I think it's gonna be great for the city, 
um, for San Franciscans to hopefully see our city with pride of all the great things that are happening here. And especially from our perspective on the sustainability front, for us to showcase what a leader we are in all of our work. And with that, I'm going to conclude my remarks. Thank you. Questions? Yes. Director Ju, I have a question regarding the APAC the event that will be here in San Francisco. Do we know how much it's going to cost the city of San Francisco to help with putting the, such an event, large event, um, in November? I, I believe the fundraising goal for the city is about $25 million, and uh, they are still working towards that fundraising goal as, as we speak. Okay, thank you. And, and one of the things to note about uh, this conference is all of the logistics and security over time, street cleaning, you name it, all of those costs are borne on the host city. And so we don't receive any federal uh, resources uh, either to help. So it all has to be fundraised uh, leading into the conference. All right. With that, maybe we should take public comment, Kyle. Are there any members of the public or president in the room today who wish to speak on this item? Seeing none, we'll proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public participating remotely who wish to make a public comment on this item should now dial star three to be added to the speaker queue. And seeing none, public comment on this item is closed. Next item, please. All right, the next item is item 12, review and vote on whether to approve resolution file 2023-10-COE, resolution amending the provisions of the Commission on the Environment Bylaws regarding meetings of the Commission, committees, and parental leave. The speaker is Kyle Wainer, Commission Affairs Officer. Explanatory documents are the Commission on the Environment Bylaws and resolution file 2023-10-COE. This item is for discussion and action. Commissioners, just one moment while I pull up the, my slide deck. Okay, commissioners, um, as you may recall, we created a survey this spring to help the department identify steps that we can take to support the commission and its work. And as we discussed at the May meeting, um, this has also been a period of transition given the departure of two of our commissioners and the return to in-person meetings um, for all of the commission's committees. So we're thinking about how to best ensure that commission meetings really stay efficient um, and impactful and action-oriented. So what you see here is a summary of the proposed amendments featured in the resolution you have before you tonight. The first four changes here are uh, very much linked and bundled together. The fifth change is uh, quite separate. So based on our survey responses, uh, most commissioners seemed open to the idea of transitioning to essentially monthly meetings of the full commission and transitioning the standing committees, so policy and operations to an ad hoc status. So under the proposed amendments that we've um, drafted here, the commission would continue to meet in late March, May, July, and September, as well as early February and early December. Um, with these changes, however, we would be adding additional commission meetings in late April, June, August, and October. Um, and so because there are now more boards and commissions uh, than there were prior to the COVID-19 pandemic, there's been a lot of competition for meeting rooms in City Hall. 
Um, and unfortunately, there were no rooms available on the fourth Tuesday of each month when we would want to meet. Um, however, room 408 is available on the fourth Monday of each month. So what you see here and what we're proposing here is to shift our full commission meetings um, from Tuesdays to Mondays and shifting the meeting room from room 416 to room 408. Um, and our survey results, an equal number of commissioners identified Monday as a convenient day to meet as Tuesday. So we're hopeful that that's still the case. Um, and just to be clear here, we would only be shifting um, these meetings forward by one day. So if the meeting was going to be on September 26th, we'd be meeting on September 25th instead. Um, and of course, the policy and operations committees would also transition to ad hoc status. So committees would continue to meet as needed. Um, there just wouldn't be a set meeting schedule. Um, and finally here, the administrative code guarantees parental leave rights and privileges to members of boards and commissions, including the right to attend commission meetings remotely for those who are on parental leave. So we are enshrining that policy in the commission's bylaws here. Um, so just for reference and just to kind of see everything together, we've included a comparison of the current schedule for 2024 under the current bylaws uh, with the schedule that the commission would be adopting if it chose to adopt the proposed amendments. Um, so again, the currently scheduled meetings would be moved forward one day from Tuesdays to Mondays and additional meetings would be scheduled for four of the six months that the commission currently doesn't meet. Um, and I also do want to note that for our budget process, we would certainly continue to expect to convene a operations committee meeting um, in early January, give, just given the very prescribed nature of that timeline in that process. Um, and additional meetings, of course, would be scheduled on, on an as-needed basis. Um, so with that, I'm happy to take any questions. Questions, discussion? Well, thank you for surveying us prior to this. And yeah, uh, with that, I do believe this is an action item, right, Kyle? We do need a motion. It is, yes, uh, Commissioner. So uh, may I have a motion then? Move? I'll move to approve. Motion from Commissioner Sullivan, a second? Second. A second from Commissioner Wan. Um, and with that, let's go to public comment then. Okay. Are there any members of the public in the meeting room present who wish to speak? And seeing none, we'll proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public participating remotely wish to make a public comment on this item should not dial star three to be added to the speaker queue. And seeing none, public comment on this item is closed. Roll call vote, please. President Ahn? Aye. Vice President Wan? Aye. Commissioner Bermejo? Aye. Commissioner Hunter? Aye. Commissioner Sullivan? Aye. And great, with that, the motion passes unanimously. Uh, next item then. Okay, the next item is item 13, new business future agenda items. The speaker is Kyra Wainer, Commissioner Affairs Officer. This item is for discussion. Um, so commissioners, uh, the next commission meeting is scheduled for Tuesday, September 26th at 5 p.m. Uh, we would recommend that you know, for the purpose of this meeting, we continue to meet on Tuesday, just given that we have the room booked, we have SFGovTV booked to support this meeting. Um, so for our next meeting, we expect to hear the first of a series of presentations um, that we're planning on specific individual chapters of the Climate Action Plan. So we expect to hear a presentation on the water use chapter, which we would um, have SFPUC co-present. We also expect to hear a presentation on integrated pest management activities on city properties. This would include a review and vote on the uh, reduced risk pesticide list. We expect to hear program updates on energy efficiency 
and CND ordinance enforcement. Uh, we may include a presentation on the ICCT report um, and also looking ahead um, to our next meetings, we would plan to schedule a new meeting based on the amended bylaws on Monday, October 30th at 5 p.m., as well as our originally scheduled meeting on Tuesday, September 5th, that's also at 5 p.m. And similar to our September meeting, we may want to continue to meet for that Tuesday for that meeting. And with that, I'm happy to take any questions. Thank you for your work and working all this out. Seeing no other comments or questions, let's move to public comment then. Are there any members of the public in the meeting room who wish to comment on this item? Seeing none, we'll proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public participating remotely who wish to comment on this item should now dial star three to be added to the speaker queue. And seeing none, public comment on this item is closed. All right. Thank you, Kyle. Next item. All right. The next item is item 14, adjournment. The meeting is adjourned. The time is 6.34 p.m. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, everyone. Good night.